Hallelujah. Where is everybody tonight? Did Jesus come back and we didn't get raptured? <laughs> the rapture happened and we didn't all get to go? Is that what it is? Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. Promised you these handouts last week, and so I'm delivering on my promise. We're not going to teach on these tonight, but I wanted you to have them available to you. And I'll explain it in just a second. Let me announce real quickly that uh, Barry Smith, his uh, brother, was killed in a car wreck. And so uh, y'all be in prayer for Barry and Melissa. His name was Scott. Yeah. That's, uh, anyway, it was Scott. <laughs> anyway, and I think he lived in Jasper. And um, so be in prayer for Barry and Melissa. And that's why we didn't have... None of, nobody in the church but Barry and the youth that are back in youth tonight know how to run PowerPoint, so that's why we had no... If you didn't know the words, that was we're sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't know them all. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Well, tonight we're talking about children, finishing up a series we've been doing on marriage and the family. And I want to talk about children tonight, and I, I gave you my personal prayer sheet, the one that's got a stapler, stapler in it that's got two two pages. I prayed for my kids. I've been praying that prayer for them for years. I still pray it for them. Uh, and I prayed, I've added, of course, their wives, and now I say, and my grandchildren. And I put their names in it too. I mean, and this is not something we do rotely, where I'm just reading these scriptures. No, you know, I like to get the Holy Ghost flowing, and you have to, it's just like these words in this Bible. They're just black words on white paper, unless they're infused with the power of the Holy Ghost. And these these scriptures to pray for your children are just black words on white paper if you do not infuse it with the power of the Holy Ghost. But I prayed those scriptures daily for my children, when starting when they were very small, and I had good success with it. Uh, I believe that my two daughter-in-laws, there's one scripture in there that says, my children will never be unequally yoked with anyone who is inconsistent with the faith. And I believe I got two godly daughter-in-laws just because of that phrase, hallelujah, that I that I lifted up to the Lord and He just started directing the right girls to them. And praise the Lord for that. And so I pray those now for them. I don't, uh, you know... Uh, and then uh, that other sheet of paper I adapted from something that Miss Jean Harless gave me, and it, and and actually I I pray this for my family, and this is good good to pray for your your immediate family, but also really good to pray for your extended family. And so you know if you've ever just didn't know how to pray for your extended family, that is a really good prayer, and I pray this for my family uh, on a regular basis, and. Uh, Hallelujah. The Word of God, the Bible says God hastens over His Word to perform it. Now, we're not all we're going to talk about that, but I wanted to make that available to you uh, to pray. Um, because as parents and as grandparents, we have a great responsibility to pray. I had praying grand, I had a great grandmother who was Pentecostal, and I know that she prayed, and she died when I was in fifth grade. But her, you know, our prayers don't stop when we die and go to heaven, our prayers just keep going. They're out there in the spirit realm, and they just keep on producing. And uh, my grandmother was, uh, of course, baptized in the Holy Ghost and responsible for getting our whole family baptized in the Holy Ghost. And uh, she uh, she was a prayer. And so, uh, boy, Michael and I have eaten the fruit for many, many years from her prayers. 
And so I told Caitlin one day, I said, I was, she came to prayer and I said, now your, your great, great grandmother was a prayer and your grandmother, great grandmother was a prayer and your grandmother's a prayer. And it's been passed down through the generations to you. And she is praying and she's praying with us on Sunday morning. Hallelujah. And she prays like me loud. <laughs> she she took she inherited that part too, uh, even though she's six years old. She she fires it up. I can tell you, Hallelujah. So I want to talk about children tonight. And it's going to be kind of unusual uh, the way I'm going to approach talking about children. It's going to apply to every one of you, children. If you have children, if you have grandchildren, even if your children are grown, and it's also going to apply to you if you're a teacher of the word or if you're a minister. And so, <clears throat> and I want to, I call this children their story from the beginning. And uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about how a child comes into being, first of all. And, you know, there are two schools of thought, uh, uh, and, and one of them's wrong and one of them's right. God's always right. How many of you know that? But there's always that religious thinking, and religious thinking will mess you up. And the two schools of thought are this. All children are born with an Adamic nature or a dead spirit because of the sin of Adam, However, if they die because they are not old enough to understand and be accountable, God in His great mercy overlooks the deadness of, his, of their spirits and takes them to heaven. And that's how most, you, if you went to most traditional churches here in town, that is exactly what they preach and believe. And I, I actually believed it and preached it myself. And um, one, time, one day, Willie George, who is the... Willie George, if, how many of you heard of Willie George? Okay, Willie George birthed children's ministry in America. There was no children's ministry except Sunday school until God birthed it through Willie George. And he's from Tulsa. He doesn't even do children's ministry anymore. He has a piece of pastor of a church but uh, called Church on the Move, I believe. Anyway, and so, but he literally in the 60s and 70s birthed children's ministry into America. And every children's minister now, whether you know it or not, you came out of Willie George. All the curriculum that we have, all of that came from Willie George. That for children's ministry, aside from just Sunday school and a Sunday school, you know, a quarterly. We used to call it in the Baptist church, a quarterly. You know, you don't even say it like. You know. Anyway, y'all got it. Anyway, okay. So the second rule of thought, the second thought, and and Willie George began to open us up to this back in the eighties, and I've done a lot of study and research on this since then. And the second school of thought is this. Children are born alive unto God. Because God imparts the Spirit at conception, then children have spirits that are alive and go to heaven until the age of accountability, at which point they must exercise free will and choose Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that is the correct way, and we can find it in Scripture if we look. You know, when you, you know, God didn't just have, He doesn't have a topical index in the Bible and where it says, okay, how are children born? And then He has about five pages on that. That would be easy if that was, if it was that way. But that's not how He did it. But He sprinkled truths throughout the Word of God. So sometimes we have to search the whole Word of God and get part of the truth from here and part of the truth from there and part of it over here. And we put it all together and we find the, 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 the wisdom and the mysteries of God. Uh, God gives his child, the child his spirit. And God has no dead spirits to give. And even uh, if y'all, um, 
listened to Jesse Duplantis or read one of his books, he talked in one of his books about, I think it was Close Encounters of the God Kind, where he went to heaven, that he actually saw the room where the little baby spirits are, where God keeps them until they are conceived and he puts those spirits into into children. Now that would be interesting, but and he didn't go into a lot of detail. I would like to go, Jesse, tell us more about that. But you know, I hadn't got to see him and ask him that. Uh number two, uh, well, I'm, it's number two for me, but just whatever for y'all. God says of anyone whose spirit is dead or adamic, if if someone has a dead spirit, if they are lost, they're not born again. He says that their father is of the devil. Remember in Corinthians, he said to the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil. Remember that? Well, if we translate that over to babies and little children, God doesn't put a spirit in a baby and say, now these babies' father is the devil. He wouldn't put the spirit in them. In other words, if that were true, the spirit would have had to come from somewhere else but from God. Because God wouldn't put a devil spirit in a kid. We know that just from the character and the uh, the, the the character of our God. Um, there is no death or evil in heaven. If God were just overlooking because of His merciful grace, and He is merciful, and He is very gracious, and we are not uh, contradicting that at all, but if He just overlooked babies having a dead spirit and just let them come to, to heaven anyway, then do you all realize He would be letting something that was evil and something that was dead into heaven? And that can't be true because we know there is nothing evil in heaven. There is nothing of death. In fact, he says death is an enemy. And it's, it's, it's the last enemy that Jesus, uh, will conquer and put under our feet. And, uh, so, so the, there's no death in heaven. And we can find scriptures for that. We don't have to, time tonight, but we could. Uh, we do know from the scripture that children go to heaven. And one of the places, and I've got so much for you, I'm not going to have you turn to every scripture, but if you would, if you would write down the scriptures and look them up for yourself sometime, because I just put them into my notes. But Second Samuel twelve twenty three. if you remember the story, it's when David and Bathsheba's uh, uh, child died. They're the child that he conceived in sin with Bathsheba, and their baby died. and And David had fasted and prayed for I forget how many days it said because the baby was sick. And uh, then, as soon as the baby died, though, he got up, washed his face, took a bath, put on clean clothes, and ordered out a meal from his servants. And they were all really surprised, you know, about that. And uh, they said, "Like, well, why did you fast? And now you're just..." And he said, he said this in 2 Samuel 12, 23, but now he is dead. Wherefore, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him. So that's one scripture that we have. And then we also um, uh, have others that... Uh, that, that tell us this, and um, one of them's in the New Testament. I'll get it to it in a minute, but let's move on from there. Uh, so I want to talk about children and how when conception occurs, and we all know that it takes three people to make a baby. It takes a daddy, it takes a mother, and it takes God. Now, we went, not everybody understands that, because we went to Mount, uh, not Moultonville, Moulton, Alabama one night and preached in a New Year's Eve service, and a little woman, I think she was a little addle-pated, if y'all know what that means. Do y'all use that word, addle-pated? Well, she was a little addle-pated, 
And uh, I thought that was a good Southern word. Anyway, she came up and she said, I'm going to have me a baby this year and I ain't going to need no man either. And uh, and that's what she told us. And we just looked at her pastor and said, thank God she's yours, not ours. You have to deal with this. Hallelujah. But anyway, uh, it does take three people to make a baby. It takes a man, a, a daddy, a mama, and a baby. I mean, and, and God. And God gives the spirit and, and the man gives the blood and the sex of the child. And we know the mother's responsible for the, the, some of the body parts and the flesh and the, some of that. And for years, though, they, you know, they used to kill women and, and divorce them and put them away because they didn't give uh, some king or some man a son. But it, when, then we found out as time went on and as scientific evidence became available, it wasn't the woman's fault after all. If he didn't get a son, it was his fault. So that's that's his part. And so God has a part and he puts that little spirit in. Now look, you can look there if you want to. Um, no, don't look at this one. But let me just give you Psalm 22.10. It says, I was cast upon thee from the womb, Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Proof that children, this is a proof scripture that children are born alive unto God. Listen, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. So right there, if we didn't have any other scripture, we would know that children are born alive unto God. Now this is really important concerning their salvation. So that's why I'm teaching this. Psalm 139 verse 13 through 17 is real important. So let's go there. Psalm 139. This is so important because I missed this when my kids were little. I was, I was, in the other school of thinking, and I missed this, and and so you know I wasn't as alert as and and on top of things as I could have been. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Psalm one hundred and thirty nine, verse thirteen. It says, "For thou hast possessed my reins." Now, if you look this up in the uh, like the Strong's Concordance, that reins there is my spirit man or my spirit. So, so let's read it that way. For thou hast possessed my spirit, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that, and that my soul knoweth right well. So he says there, thou hast possessed my reins. And so what really this scripture is saying, if we get down into the Hebrew and stuff, is that God put the spirit man in the, in the womb at conception, and then he forms the little body and the bones around the spirit man. So the spirit man, and so that refutes everything you know about, well, the child's not really a child. You know, it's not a child until it's born. And, you know, so therefore we can murder it and we can, we can kill it. No, we can't do that. And it is a child. Hallelujah. And I saw a little picture the other day on the Internet of uh, some doctor had done some sort of surgery. And they looked over there and a little hand had gotten out. Just, and it was a very, very young fetus. And the little hand had gotten out. And because the doctors were doing something else and they hadn't sewed the, they had taken the uterus out of the womb and did some sort of surgery and they had to open the uterus up. And before they got it sewed back up, that little hand came out, little clenched hand. And so the doctor put his finger and that little baby, that little fetus, very young, squeezed that doctor's. You know how babies will clamp onto your your finger. Well, that that your very young fetus clamped onto that uh, doctor's finger. And so this is how God forms a baby is he covers it. He covers the spirit. 
the spirit and then he covers it with the little bones and the little flesh. And that's a process we know. So, hallelujah. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That word breath in some translations and, and in the French Bible it reads this way, is the word spirit. And, and it reads that way. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the spirit of life. And that's how he formed Adam. You see, so he, he, he did this, he did it backwards with Adam. He put the, he, he put the body and then he breathed the spirit into Adam. So from the time of conception, the spirit of a child is placed by God in the mother's womb. And then the frame and the flesh form around the spirit. Psalm 119, verse 73 says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Isaiah 49, 1 says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. So in the womb he knows your name, and he also calls people. You didn't get called. You may just, you know, I was, uh, it was 1984 when I heard the Lord calling me to teach the Word of God. And I had been, you know, I'd taught Sunday school and stuff, but never had I taught like this. But really, the truth is, I was called from my mother's womb. And even though my mother wasn't spiritual at the time, she even gave me my name. And my name is Deborah, and that means loyal messenger of truth. And so, you know, even my name fits me. And the same with my children. I didn't have any inspiration to name them according to God, but when you look up their names, it's amazing. And Michael's mother, Michael means uh, messenger. You know, we know he's a messenger, uh, angel. And angel, and in the Bible, many times the in the book of Revelation, angel, the angel of the church at Sardis is the pastor of the church at Sardis even though there are angels too for sign the churches, but it says the angels are the pastors of the churches. Hallelujah. So so even our names, even sometimes when our mothers weren't really that spiritual, but God somehow got through to them and got it to them, and we get the right name many times. I wouldn't say that always happens, but many times. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. So even before you got to the belly, he knew you. So that talks about those little spirits that are in heaven. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And that means set apart. I set you apart and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So Jeremiah, he, before he was ever in his mother's womb, he was called and ordained to be a prophet to the nations. And so our children are so, so very, very important to us because they might be prophets or presidents or kings. We may, and we don't know. And you know, sometimes very, very unlikely people, uh, as far as pedigree, turn out to be those um, those those really great things and stand in great offices. And so it's so so children are so important. And wonder how many kings and presidents and prophets and pastors and teachers have been aborted. Do you ever think about that? But that's for sure. For sure, that has happened. You know, Hallelujah. <coughs> Not for any condemnation, but we just need to know the truth. Uh, so we pass truth down. Hallelujah. Luke 1.15 uh, says uh, about John the Baptist, 
For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And so a lot of things can happen even in the womb. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now this prophecy was given to his father, Zechariah, that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost from the womb. And we know that he was. And I believe that there's other children even that get filled with the Holy Ghost in the womb. It depends on how mom and dad are living and what they're doing. But even when we're pregnant, well, it's it's very important. And, you know, I didn't know a lot of this back when I was in that stage of life. But hallelujah... Their little souls, their little spirits are alive unto God, and so they will respond to the things of the Spirit, get excited, and 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 respond to praise music, and respond to prayer, and respond to those things, and 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 are and are aware of you speaking in tongues and those kind of things, and then also their little souls are are negatively affected even in the womb when the mother's in living in sin, when the mother's uh, cursing and. And or or even somebody else in the room cursing when there's um and and even uh, uh even things like movies and things like that could go so far as to affect them in the womb and so we'll talk about that a little more later. Ecclesiastes eleven five says this: As thou knowest now what is the way of the spirit, how the boy I, I butchered this when I typed it. Okay, as thou knowest now what is the way of the Spirit, how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. He said, do you really understand? I butchered it, so I don't really know what words are missing. But do you, what he said was, do you really understand the way of the Spirit and how the bones do grow in the womb? And of course, we don't totally understand all of that, do we? But one of the things we do know is that God set all the biological systems in order. And you know, where bearing children is concerned, He left it pretty much up to us. In other words, He figured out the biology of the whole thing, put the put the right equipment in our bodies to cause it to happen. But you know, when we get children, it's not directly... Now, He does put the Spirit in at conception, but it's not just absolutely that God said... Well, you know, I want you to have a child and I don't want you to have a child. In fact, that doesn't happen. God does not prevent pregnancy because we have enough kids. How many of you figured that part out? Hallelujah. I mean, we only have to look into some people. But you know, there are Christians. There actually, there's a great show on TV now right on the Learning Channel. And that's exactly what they believe. They're very, very committed Christians, but they're just leaving it all up to God. Hallelujah. And I think they're about to bankrupt the bank, you know. I think they're at 18 right now. Hallelujah. So God does not prevent pregnancy because you have enough kids. And so what will happen is everything will just wear out eventually. I mean, that is the truth. Uh, God does not allow pregnancy because you would be a good parent. Because we know some people personally that would be marvelous parents and that want children so desperately. But God does not allow pregnancy just because we'd be good parents. Or he, how many of you know this? He doesn't disallow it because you'd be a sorry parent. Because, I mean, he's let some sorry individuals have some kids, hadn't he? So, uh, hallelujah. <laughs> so... um the fact is that if the biology is all there, then it's extremely likely that somebody's going to get pregnant unless there's something wrong in their body. And, of course, he wants to heal those situations and so forth. So he set our bodies up and intended for the fruit of the womb to be our reward. But if we misuse our bodies, and we may not feel that being pregnant is a reward, but it is still. God will turn it to be. 
And so that's why we never want to uh, to end a pregnancy because even though it might not seem like a reward right now, it'll be a big, big reward if you'll just hang on. He'll turn it to that. Hallelujah. And no child is a surprise to God. God's not ever surprised. And there are no exceptions to thou shalt not murder. And so abortion is never an option. So we talk about these children now and how they're alive unto God. And so that means a very small child, after they even just are barely talking, sometimes will speak for God. And I know when Colin was little, he spoke to me one time, and I knew it was God. And I was complaining about something, and he said something that was very profound beyond what his age was. And I went, okay, that was God talking through him. And uh, we know that children can prophesy at a very young age because they're alive unto God. We know that children can sing spiritual songs, that they can pray in tongues. And Caitlin, man, she is just she's six years old. She is just praying in tongues up a storm. And my story with Colin is that he was four, and we went to these meetings at these, uh, like, uh, you know, we were Baptists, but we were sneaking around and going to these spirit-filled meetings. And so, brother, I forget his name now. I was trying to think of the other day. Oh, Brother Fisher, and and Miss and Miss Fisher was missing ministering, and so, uh, and I think he was praying for some people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and so I turned to Colin, and he was four years old, and I said, Colin, you want to go down and get Brother Fisher to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? Now I didn't know what I knew now, because I wouldn't do that now, and he said, Well, Mama, just listen to this, and he just started rattling in tongues. And so he was alive unto God. He could easily speak in tongues when he was put in that environment. Why do not ever kid, not all kids speak in tongues? Because they're not put in that environment and because they are not around people that do. But when they're put around people that do and their parents speak in tongues regularly in front of them, they'll speak in tongues because they're alive unto God. Um, <clears throat> hallelujah. So they can exercise all the privileges of the new birth. They can pray. They can take the they can take authority over spiritual things and pray, and they have great success in prayer when they pray. And so we teach them those things. But there's one thing different about a child than there is than there is me and you in this room is that even though they're alive unto God, they're not sealed. Now, if you want to know more about being sealed, I'd invite you to come to Alabama Bible Institute because I don't have time to cover it here tonight. But we know that Adam was not sealed, and that's why he could fall and he sent. We can all sin, but that's why uh, his spirit could go from being alive unto God, as it was in the garden, to go into being a dead spirit. We know the Bible teaches us that Jesus was sealed. And that even though he had to choose not to sin, because he could have sinned just like we can sin. Because in our spirits, we're just like Jesus. And uh, so we could sin, and he could have sinned, but he endured all the temptation as a man and did not sin, proving that a man could do it. He proved us that we cannot, we can actually not sin if we want to and if we renew our mind enough and walk close enough to God. And some people teach, would teach you that you have to sin and that, but you don't. After you're born again, if you'll renew your mind, you can choose life every time. Cause Jesus did and he proved it to us. Okay. And so we also know in Ephesians 1.13, if you want to turn there, that after you are born again, that you are sealed. 
Now, this is very important to know that that even though babies and little children are alive unto God, that they're not sealed. So that means as parents and as grandparents and as teachers and as ministers, that we have a very serious responsibility to guard them. And we have a stewardship that we have to protect them and watch over them. Because just like John the Baptist could be influenced in the womb, their spirits are more vulnerable then our, our spirit's not vulnerable. My spirit is not vulnerable, but theirs is. And my soul is not as vulnerable as theirs is because I've renewed my mind, built myself up on the Word of God. And so, but their souls are very tender, their mind, will, and emotions. And they're very vulnerable to the things of the enemy. So we have to guard them very closely and not let them be exposed to things out there in this world. Uh, I'll tell you an example of that very personal. I started going, I, I used to go, well, I'm not going to tell you all that. Okay, I started going to the Vietnamese place to get my nails done, and I'd always gone to an American place before. And so Buddha was sitting in there. And I don't like it, but I just prayed and went anyway. Got my nails done. and Just prayed and just ignore him and look at him and say, you are so nothing. You are just a piece of rock with a, you're a piece of rock with a banana laying in front of you. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's, it's so stupid. You know, you know, religion is ignorant. It is stupid. It is irrational. Uh, so anyway, but I, I thought, so I asked the girl, I said, do you do children's nails? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like the people in there. They're lost. They're, they're Buddhists, but they're sweet people, you know, and I like them. And, and so, I, so I thought, I'm going to take Caitlin to get her nails done. And the Lord said, no. He said, don't do it. He said, she's vulnerable. And I really wanted to do that. And I knew in my heart I wanted to take her in there where Buddha was. Because her spirit was vulnerable. And her little soul is vulnerable. Hallelujah. Now, when my children were young, and even through their high school years, we guarded them really carefully where movies and things like that were concerned, where books were concerned. I can tell you, we didn't have cooperation from the grandparents. And I wish I had taken a stronger stand with the grandparents. I really do. Now, but, but I didn't know enough then. And so, but we guarded them. But we guarded them without this revelation. We didn't even really know why we were guarding them. We just did. Uh, we just didn't feel like it was good to be watching TV all the time and watch, and you know, so we had different motive. But now I realize a lot of things that, that man, e even if they're asleep, their soul's not asleep. And if John the Baptist in the womb is getting, is being baptized in the Holy Ghost and his soul is being affected in the womb, then, then, even a child asleep while a, a bad movie's going on, a scary movie with lots of fear, a demonic movie, I mean, there's a lot of that. A, that is affecting their soul and their spirit never sleeps. Your spirit never sleeps. It's affecting their spirit. They're not sealed. And, you know, it's just not wisdom. It is totally not wisdom. So we have these children. They're alive unto God. Did I read Ephesians 1.13? In whom ye also trusted, after yet that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye, after that ye believed, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What he's saying there is after you were saved, you got sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. We'll talk about that more a little too. 
So the child is alive unto God and knows God. I heard this testimony about Bobby Connor. He's a prophet. Anybody heard of Bobby Connor? Okay, I'm the only one. <laughs> well, he's a prophet. He he flows in the prophet's ministry, and he uh, he 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 was aware. This is really unusual. He was aware of things that happened to him in the womb. He said he remembers from the womb. He remembers his mother took a coat hanger because she had all sorts of problems. And she took a cone hanger, stuck it up in the womb, and he remembers the hand of God coming up in there and moving him over. And he's a prophet of God, and he was not aborted. His mother kept trying to do away with him. When he was five years old, the Lord spoke to him and said, Don't get on the pony. And said it to him again a few days later, Don't get on the pony. And so he told his older brother, don't get on the pony. He didn't know what he was telling him, but he said, don't get on the pony. And so it was about a few months later, well, his uncle came to the house. His mother packed him a little lunch and put some clothes in a little bag. And his, uh, his uncle put him in the car and they drove and they drove and they drove and they drove. And they came to a place out in the country and, and uh, a lady came up with a pony walked up with a pony. And she said, come on, boys, get on the pony. And they started screaming and yelling, no, 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 we're not getting on the pony. We're not getting on the pony. And you know what it was? It was an orphanage. And the way they got kids to the orphanage was they would have the people come to a, another location and they would say, y'all ride, y'all want to ride the pony? Come get on the pony. And so they wouldn't get on the pony and they didn't have, they didn't go to the orphanage. But he remembers these things from you, from so young, and he remembers in the womb. Now, his mother never told him this story, but one time she came to a meeting that he was in, and the power of God fell, and the anointing was there, and she became so convicted of how God was using him that she came up crying to him and said, you just don't know what I tried to do to you, and I tried, I took a coat hanger, and I tried to, and she, and he, she had never told him, but he knew it already, because he remembered it from the womb. And, uh, and she, and so she, he said, I just took her in my arms and I just said, Mama, just don't think about it. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it at all. And, you know, just loved her. He said, and then another story that I heard is uh, about a little girl. And <laughs> this little girl, she went to, she had, she, they got, she got a baby brother. Mama and daddy had a new baby, a baby brother. And so like about two months after that baby was born, she kept saying to mom and dad, and she's like four or five years old, she kept saying, I want to talk, I want to be alone with my baby brother. And they were like, this is weird. What is it? And she, she, but she just every once in a while, I want to be alone with my baby brother. And they were like kind of scared of that. And so, but finally she just kept after him, kept after him. So finally they said, okay. And they let her go in the baby brother's room and they shut the door nearly and they kind of stood outside and listened. And she went in and talked to her baby brother and she said, she said, baby, baby, remind me of what God looks like. I for, I'm starting to forget. So, hallelujah. And I think that's why babies are so precious and so sweet is because they're alive unto God. 
and why we love them so much. And because, you know, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And it just, there's, there's that, you know, in a baby, you can just go straight to the spirit. You just, you can just look, their eyes are so pure and so clear. And it, it's really awesome. <clears throat> so these children that are alive unto God, if they die, they go to heaven. Hallelujah. <clears throat> but the child, but even though they would go to heaven, if they died, they're not born again. And we know that Jesus said in John uh, 3, 7, he said, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. John 3, verse 3 through 5, he said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he's talking to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit. So in other words, lest he be born of his mother and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we know that it's necessary for all of us to be born again. In Matthew 18, verse 2 and 3, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him down in the midst of them. And he said something very important to them that most of the churches misunderstood. He said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And he, we, we thought he was talking about outward things. And so we've said, well, you know, what are little children like? Well, they're pure. Or they're humble. Or they believe easily. And we say all these things he was talking about, but he wasn't talking about that. What he was talking about was their his, he was talking about their spirits. And he was saying, you have to be converted and become in your spirit like this little child is in their spirit. In other words, your spirit has to become alive unto God or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, we know that's got to be true because, you know, we don't get to heaven based on outward things. It don't matter how humble a person is, how teachable they are, or how reverent they are, how what a pure life they live. None of that matters, does it? If they don't become converted, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will go to hell. And so, <laughs> hallelujah, he's talking about that that little child is alive unto God. So you, as an adult, have to become converted. And and uh, and so, and every child has to become converted. And this happens sometime between the age of 10 and 12, is my estimation. It could be late, longer, late, uh, earlier for some. And it might, I don't think it's going to be much later than 12. I mean... Uh, for most children, it would have to be a very, very immature child for it to be later than 12. But at the age of 10 to 12, uh, there comes an age, and the church is pretty much in agreement about this, that there is an age of accountability that comes. And if we would look over in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, we would see something that we've mostly overlooked, but that is very important. <clears throat> Romans 7 Verse 9, Paul told us something very important. He says, and this is interesting, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So he's talking about being alive unto God. And now we know he's saved now because he's writing the New Testament. He's saved. He's born again. So he's, he's born again now, 
He said, but there was a time before, a long time ago when I was alive, but sin revived and I died. And then he had to be born again and now he's alive again. So this is where we see and understand that at the age of accountability, somewhere 10, 9, 11, 12, whatever, uh, uh, different for different children, I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old. And I can honestly say that I've examined this, thought many hours about it, that at nine years old, I was not accountable for sin. I did not. I remember one time I was six years old and I stole a plum from the grocery store. Now, my mother bought a bag of plums, put a, you know, in a paper sack because that's how they used to do it. We didn't have plastic sacks back in the olden days. And so she put them in a paper sack and she... uh and, and I mean, you know, I know the Lord just had to show her this. I don't know. She had bought five or six plums and she knew exactly how many she bought. And so she's in there unloading groceries and I start eating a plum. Now I'm six years old and she's looking one, two, three, four, five, six. And Debbie's got a plum in her hand. And so she said, did you take that plum from the girl? Did you steal it? And so I had. Now I'm, I'm worried, boy, I'm sweating bullets. My parents believed in the, in the spanking. Hallelujah. And so I'm worried. I'm upset. And okay, you get in the car. We're going to the grocery store. And so we get in the car. This is in Winters, Texas. I, I, you know, and we get in the car and we drive all the way across town back to the grocery store. And she didn't know why she did this. I don't know. She didn't get out with me. She said, Debbie, you go in there and you tell the clerk that you stole it and you pay for it. Well, I just went in there and lied to the clerk. I did. I just, I'm, you know, and you know that, Kirk, because I remember even at six thinking, I don't think she believes me. So there is no telling what I can, because six-year-olds can come up with a story, can't they? And so I came up with some story, you know, about how I got that plum and didn't, we accidentally didn't pay for it. And she's like looking at me and, uh, and, you know, I've already ate it. So she can't weigh it. So she said, oh, well, just forget it. <laughs> you know, hallelujah. <laughs> But anyway, my point of this story is I thought back over this and I, even though I was upset and I was worried and I was frantic, it was all about what my mama is going to spank me with. It wasn't, I, as soon as I got out of it, I had no conviction at all about stealing it, had no conviction at all about lying about it. It was just like, whoo, God, that's over. Hallelujah. But <laughs> so I'm just as innocent. I'm just as, uh, you know, I did have a sense that it was wrong. I'm not saying I didn't. But I had no conviction that I've displeased the Lord. It's just like, well, I messed up, you know. And so that's how little children are. But then there comes that age. And I remember I was 10 years old and I was in, we were in Winters, Texas, and we were in this week revival, an outdoor revival. And uh, on Saturday night, I don't know, but you know how Baptists, they can preach you under conviction. I can tell you that. Woo! Hallelujah. But I didn't walk down to the front, but we went home that night and I stayed with my grandparents and, um, uh, I, I get in the bed and I'm, I start crying. I'm still under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Now that is what you call sin revived and I had died. And man, I'm under the conviction of the Holy Ghost. I hadn't even sinned that week. I hadn't stole any plums and I hadn't lied about it. But I'm still, I am a sinner and I knew I was a sinner. And that's when, when children get to that point. Now the mistake we make as parents, as Holy Ghost parents... I can tell you our denominational brothers and sisters don't make this uh, mistake as much as we do. Is we, we are going like, well, my kid spoke in tongues at four. And so for years, I thought my child was saved at four years old and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now I know that wasn't the case, that he was just alive unto God. 
He was not baptized in the Holy Ghost. He was flowing in the Holy Ghost. And he was not saved. He was alive unto God. And he loved God. And he liked the things of God and enjoyed the things of God and experienced the things of God. And so... uh, But then there comes that age. And a lot of times what we see in our children, and we just don't understand it, is that we've had a four-year-old or a six-year-old or a seven-year-old, and they really love God. Man, they praise and they pray. And then all of a sudden they'll get there to that age. And we go, you just don't seem as interested in God as you used to. And you know, all of a sudden they're kind of backed off and maybe they're even start to get in a little trouble at school and, and, uh, you know, and uh, they're not on fire for God. And you know what's happened? They got there, and somebody needs to lead them to the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Somebody needs to preach them under conviction, like they, <laughs> you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and and uh, the wages of sin is death, and so forth. And uh, Hallelujah. So when do the kids, how do we know this? Well, James 4, 17. Uh, when a child gets to the age where James 4.17 comes into play, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That's a, that's a, one time, that's a way to know. And when they know the difference between right and wrong, when they're, uh, but, and when they're capable of knowing they're a sinner, and when they're capable of making free choice, um, everybody has to make free choice for Jesus. Every person on the earth has to choose between Jesus and the devil, basically. And when they're old enough to know what they're choosing, and when they're capable of understanding the message of salvation, in Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. So they have to be able to confess with their mouth. They have to understand how to believe in their heart and understand the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. They shall be saved. For with the man, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Meanwhile, we as parents and grandparents and ministers and teachers have a serious responsibility to guard them from the evil influences that are in the world, to guard them from the movies that are out there in this, in this, and to guard them from uh, friends that might be uh, of a different uh, moral persuasion. Uh, even in some situations to guard them from school. I know it's not always necessary to take them out of school and change schools, but I've seen situations where you needed to take them out of a school and put them somewhere else. And so we do whatever it takes because it's very easy for a child to come under the sway of demonic influence because they're not sealed, even to guard them. I, I was looking up in the uh, Bible today how many children God uh, Jesus cast the devil out of. A bunch. A bunch. At least three children, three specific children in the Bible, uh, Jesus cast the devil out of. Um, so anything of fear, we need to guard them from fear. Not let them, let, not let these things come before the eyes. David even said in the Psalms, I will let no evil thing come before our eyes, my eyes. How much more? You know, it's one thing for us to see things. It's another thing for our children to see things. And movies that have uh, sexual innuendos and sexual things. In Song of Solomon 2.7, it says, Do not awaken love or desire before its time. Do not awaken. And that's why our children are sexually promiscuous at a young age is because we let those things get awakened. And you can awaken it very early or you can put that stuff to sleep in your children. And you know, it's kind of like this. If uh, 
Uh-oh. If I told you I have a ring of popo, now you've never heard of a ring of popo, so you can't dwell on it, imagine it, you can't lust after it, you can't, because you don't know what it is. So we keep our children ignorant. And so you don't know if I have a disease on my body or if I have a, uh, if I have an animal of a different sort at home. You do you. So you can't imagine it. Your imagination cannot. And that's the way we keep our children where sexual things are concerned. Now, there's things in movies that would be quite appropriate for me and Michael to watch. We're married. And so, you know, I watch things on movies now. I would never have watched when Eric or Colin were at home. Hallelujah. But, you know, as parents, that's part of the dying to self. Even though we might want to watch something, you know, and I, I, I'm not saying anything filthy, but there's even things in pretty nominal movies that a married couple, it's not going to cause things to be stirred up. But in a young man or a young woman, seeing those things, it causes things to come alive before it's time. And all of a sudden they're aware of things. And then all of a sudden the devil has access to make them say, think of things. Because if, if the devil goes around saying a ring of popo to you, you're don't, you can't think on it because you don't, you don't know what it is. And so it's good to be ignorant, isn't it? By the way, it's nothing because I don't just made up that word. Hallelujah. Unless it's something I don't know about. Hallelujah. But anyway, it's not tempting me. But once I begin, anytime the devil can make you aware of a sin, that's why we don't need to go on the internet and find out all the sins that people do. If we don't know them, we'll never think of them. And if you never think of them, you'll never have to cast down an imagination or a temptation. And so we keep our kids where they don't have to resist temptation because they don't think of that. You know, leaving a Carter tonight, he said, you know, he whispered to his mother, you know, what did that ring mean on uh, uh, for uh, Lisa? And she said, she means there she's getting married. Hallelujah. Well, I just announced it to the whole church, didn't I, Lisa? And put it on a CD. Hallelujah. Well, not quite the whole church, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, so, uh, you know, we keep them, we keep them in the things of the world. We keep them really innocent of those things as best we can. Now they're going to see enough just walking through the mall, but don't make that an excuse because they see something walking through the mall. And you know, I was always making my kids turn your head. Don't look at this. I, I, we have actually, when he was little, watched movies, you know, you get into something and I would say, cover up your eyes and I'll tell you when you can open them. You know, I've, I've done that. Hallelujah. But of course, some things you just have to stay away from totally. Uh, you know, in Mark 9, 42, and I'm going to end with this. I didn't think I could get through, but boy, God's good. I told the Lord, I said, now, like Joshua, I'm going to ask you to call, hey, call the clock to stand still tonight. Hallelujah. Because I got, had so many notes, but God did it easily. Mark 9, verse 42. This is a very serious thing that we do not let these things be, let our kids know about these things that are evil that are going on in the world. You know, some parents have the mistaken idea that, oh, well, you know, it's just better for them to know. No, it's better for them not to know. Hallelujah. Mark nine forty two. This is how serious it is. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now that word, it's very important that you understand this. That word offend means trip up or entice to sin. It is better for whosoever shall trip up one of these little ones or entice to sin. 
And that doesn't just mean that you're trying to go get them to sin, but you have made sin available to them. You have shown them how to sin. Maybe you didn't do it, but you let your TV show them how to sin. Hallelujah. It's better that a millstone be tied around your neck uh, than to cause them to, to be offended. Little ones there means small ones. Hallelujah. So we're called to, to, as parents and as grandparents, uh, and you know, and I'm a grandparent now and I want to guard my children. My, my family wouldn't cooperate with me. And if I had it to do over, I'd have said, I would have said something. Hallelujah. And since my family was scared of me, <laughs> Oh, I'm just kidding. But, you know, they did have a respect for the pastor's office that we were in. They probably would have listened if I had just spoke up and said, no, no, mom, no, dad. They are not watching those movies when they're over here. Or they are not watching that. Actually, I didn't know it. My kids didn't. But I found out since then. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that at this person's house when I was nine. And I saw that. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, <clears throat> my question, you know, we should not be. We, we should be cooperating as grandparents with the children. Hallelujah. And even setting a higher standard if we are further along in the things of God than they are and doing everything we can to the reverse the curse. You know, my parents, my grandmother did that because uh, my parents were not living right. They were backslid when I was growing up, didn't take me to church, and uh, were going honky-tonking. That's what we called it uh, then. Going to, I mean, I've said it, I've gone to many a bar and had a Shirley Temple. Hallelujah. And, uh, I, and, and we were going to the horse races and I was betting my little dollar at the, somebody was going to the window at the horse races and, and betting my little dollar on the horses. Hallelujah. My mother and dad was smoking like a train. Hallelujah. And, uh, they, of course, they've turned their lives around. They don't live like that now. But you know what? I had two grandmothers praying. I had two grandmothers setting a higher standard. And I'd go for a month in the summer to Granny Hixie's house. And Granny Hixie and Grand Grand, every night of the week, and they went to bed early. That was the only bad thing about staying a month with them. Is, oh, Lord, they went to bed early. And uh, <laughs> hallelujah. And uh, But every night they'd get down on their knees. Now, they was just good Baptist folks at that time. At that time, they weren't filled with the Holy Ghost. They didn't know a lot. But they got down there on their knees and they prayed for their family. And we prayed for Uncle Sam, who was in Vietnam. And, you know, we prayed. We prayed. Uh, and, and, and those things imprinted me, even though my parents weren't living right. And they took me to Sunday school. And they took me to VBS. And they took me to church. And my parents weren't going. And I wasn't getting to go. Hallelujah. And I, I'd sit on the front porch and I'd see uh, Lori and Linda Patterson walk into church on Sunday morning. And I would think I'd be so glad when I'm old enough to walk to church by myself. And uh, because we just lived about four blocks from the church. But hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But my grandmother, so as a grandparent, or as a, a, uh, if you're a grandparent, you can have great, great influence on your children and you can be praying and and, uh, and, and hallelujah, praise God, my parents did get their lives turned around. Hallelujah. And they don't smoke and they don't drink and they go to church every Sunday and hallelujah, praise God. They're good people and we love them. Hallelujah. So, and I, and we forgive all our parents, don't we, for what they did wrong and didn't do. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand up together. So I know you might have some things to change at your house. And on, on January 1st, 1980, me and Pastor got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And before that, we were good Baptists. I mean, we walked in all the light we had. We went to church. We served God. But we didn't always live 
just exactly right because we didn't have any revelation, didn't know any word. Hallelujah. And so on January 1st, 1980, we got baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's like a whole world opened up to us and we saw what we'd never seen before. And I can tell you, we cleaned house. We got rid of some things out of our house. I cleaned out some toys that weren't any good for my children to be playing with. Hallelujah. Even back in 1980, there were toys that went how much worse some of them are now. Horrible. Some of the toys are just so horrible. And you know, we didn't have any movies to clean out. So, cause it was before VCR. <laughs> Hallelujah. We are pre VCR. Hallelujah. 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 I grew up with black and white TV. And, um, <laughs> so, um, uh, but we cleaned out things. We had us a bonfire, a big old bonfire. Cause we wanted everything that was, not totally and 100% pleasing to God out of our house. And you know, God has blessed us so richly all these years. He's blessed us in every realm, in every area. You can't give up anything for God that He won't bless you more. And there's been times since. There's even been things this year that I've laid aside and said, I, and I didn't lay them aside because they were bad because I don't do anything bad, but I laid them aside because they were stealing my time and they were diluting the Word in my life. And so I laid them aside even this year, some things. So don't be ever afraid to lay something aside and God will, you, God will fill it in with such, with such uh, great things. Amen. Hallelujah. And I, I, I want to clarify this because I'm not meaning to say that if you can get the baby, get a babysitter, you can watch anything you want to watch. You still ought to be watching things that are clean, but I'm just meaning to say, you know what I'm saying, that there are things that are appropriate. Uh, for a, uh, a man and his wife that might not be appropriate for a five-year-old. And there's things that are appropriate for men and women that are married that might not be appropriate for a, a single. Because you know what? Just like those babies keep everything asleep. If you're a single woman or a single man, you better keep it asleep. You better put all that stuff to sleep. You can put your, you can put that, 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 that passion that's inside of you, you can put it to sleep and not wake it up. And that's what you have to do. Otherwise, you're going to be casting down and resisting temptation. And that's why most of the church is living like a lot of the church. I shouldn't say most. A lot of the church is living like an alley cat. Hallelujah. Not hallelujah because they are, but <laughs> so, cause, cause we let things, we let, we've let Hollywood tell us how to live and show us what's right and what's wrong. And they don't know. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for these precious children that you've entrusted to us as parents and as grandparents and as teachers and ministers. And, Father, we commit, first of all, to pray for them. And, Father, to build them in every spiritual way possible. And, Lord, we don't just take on our child, uh, bless our four no more. But, Father, we take on to be a blessing to all the children of the body of Christ and to be imparters and to be uh, encouragers and to be a help to other parents uh, to strengthen their children. And Lord, we just pray especially for our children's ministers and our youth minister that they would be able to uh, to plant things that in the from the incorruptible Word that will never be lost. And they would be able to uproot things, uproot things that even uh, shouldn't have been planted there. Oh, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Hallelujah. We just give you the glory. We give you the glory. Lord, if there's anything that we need to make corrections on, Lord, we're submitted to you. We just thank you that we'll do it. Lord, I'd obey, I'd obey you in a heartbeat. I would obey you for anything you said. 
So, Lord, and I believe the rest of the people in this room feel the same. Lord, we'd, we'd obey you. We might, we'll make the correction. Hallelujah. We're not afraid of the world. We're not afraid to look strange to the world. We're not afraid not to be conformed to this world. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Give you the praise. Now, Lord, bless the people tonight. Let your good hand be upon them. Clear a path before them. We thank you, Lord, that in their pathway is life and there is no death or destruction. Lord, show us how to protect in prayer our families and um, how to keep under the blood and to stay uh, to stay free in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for perfecting that which concerns this church. We are submitted to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you're dismissed.